thank you that we can begin and end the day in the Word of God. And we thank you, Lord, <clears throat> for this book. I think of Lord Jesus in, in the last chapter of Luke. It says that you walked on the road to Emmaus with uh, two men and you opened up the Bible and you went through the, all the books uh, of, uh, of Moses and, and the prophets and you pointed to where they spoke of you. And this book, Haggai, speaks of you. And this would have been, Lord, one of the books, I am sure, that you showed them. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, we need you. Uh, we need you every hour as the song goes, but we need you this hour. And I just pray that you would uh, just show us in this word, in this book, where you, where, where, where you are here. It, it, it says in your word, we, we hear all the time, Lord, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so show us uh, your heart uh, this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. The book of Haggai. So we are, we have reached a different period, a different prophetic period. This is called the post, uh, Haggai is the first of the post-exilic prophets. You're thinking, look, I didn't come to seminary. I came to church. What does that mean? Well, I, I have a couple charts up here. Do you have them, Sean? Do you have my ch ch charts? Okay. Well, d this is just to give you some background Let's, I tell you what, let's start with the first one, just the, uh, the URL that I have there, the timelines of the prophets. Now, this one you guys have seen many, many times. Can you, can you blow that up a little? Can you expand that maybe? Okay, so th this, these, um, these are all the prophets from, from David on. Now, there was a prophet... There, there were prophets before uh, King David. Uh, we know that Deborah was a prophet. Moses uh, is called uh, a prophet. Uh, but here uh, the, it is a chart that shows you the different prophets of the Old Testament. Now remember, after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was split in two. Ten tribes went to the north. They became an apostate nation. They had many kings. All of them were bad kings. Ahab being one. Ooh, bad king. And the, the kings in the south, there were many good kings. Jehoshaphat, Asa, good kings. Uh, Joash was a good king, sort of. Uzziah was a wonderful king. So was Jotham, Hezekiah. This is the line of the Messiah here. But God sent prophets to both he sent Elijah, Elisha, uh, he sent Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Amos, and um, Hosea to the to the kings and the people in the north. Notwithstanding the fact that he knew they were never going to repent, it really goes. It really shows you the heart of God uh, that he he sends people even to those who would never repent. Here in the south, uh, during these kings, Obadiah, Joel, Jonah, Isaiah, Micah. Can we scroll down, Sean, or scroll up, whichever one? You got to see the ones down there underneath Manasseh. Just scroll up. There you go. Oh, woo. Okay, so um, here, 
here is uh, the end of the kings. Can you just go up a little? There you go. The la- so the last, the, uh, here are the last kings in Jerusalem. All these kings reigned in Jerusalem. These kings reigned up north. And Micah, Jeremiah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk. So we just finished Zephaniah. Zephaniah and Jeremiah prophesied to the Israelites right before the destruction of Jerusalem. God had told Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he made it really clear. Look it, I'm sending you into the promised land. You've been in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm sending you to this promised land. It's a land of milk and honey. But I'm telling you, you need to follow me. You cannot follow other gods. If you do, I am going to take you away from the land of milk and honey, the promised land, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you in exile. In fact, I'm going to scatter you amongst the whole world. And that is indeed what he did. First up here, the northern ten tribes, the Assyrians came out, took the Israels out of the land, and scattered them throughout their empire. And then, so what happens again, here is Zedekiah. He is the last king to reign in Jerusalem. And the Babylonians came in and they destroyed uh, the land here, uh, destroyed Jerusalem here. They took all the Israelites away in, in a series of three, uh, the, a series of, of three, what would you call them, attacks on Jerusalem. They, t- they came in Jerusalem and took it over three times, each time taking people back to Babylon. Among others, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Ezekiel, all were taken from their home in Jerusalem to Babylon. And so um, after Zedekiah, though Jerusalem is burned down, uh, the, the, the whole countryside is laid to waste, and all the, the Jews, they're, they're living, except the very, very poor people, um, the, the most of the Jewish population are taken 900 miles away to Babylon modern-day Iraq, and um, it is, here's, here it is, the Babylonian exile. During the exile, you have two prophets here, Ezekiel and Daniel. Then, after the exile, which Jeremiah prophesied to be how many years? 70, 70 years. After 70 years, just as Jeremiah um, had said, they, uh, the Jews returned to Jerusalem. Now, there was not a king. They didn't get their, their, their king back. They're not going to get their king back until Jesus returns. However, they did return to the land to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And during the time of the return, right after the return, those are the post-exilic prophets, the post-exile prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Zechariah, which we're in next, uh, all these have, are loaded with prophecies about the coming of Jesus, uh, more so Zechariah and Malachi than Haggai, but still. So uh, that's who we have. Let's see these other ones, uh, these other charts. We have those other charts. Okay. This is a funky one. You have to go like this. So everyone go like this, Okay. So it starts with Abraham, Israel. Here's the Exodus here. 
um, um, King David and all the prophets, and here's the Babylonian captivity. It's kind of the same thing, but uh, different. And um, then in between the Old Testament um, and the New Testament, there's 400 years. There are no prophets, at least in the Bible, uh, written, um, no prophetical writings since the, um, from Malachi all the way to John the Baptist. Jesus calls John the Baptist an Old Testament prophet. He was an Old Testament prophet. Uh, the new covenant was brought in by, uh, by the feast, at the Feast of Pentecost. But um, really, the, the, the cross and resurrection. But, but uh, here you go, uh, Babylonian cat- captivity. And then after that, here we go again. Uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. E- the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther were um, written at this time. How about that last one? See if there's anything. Okay, here we go. So here's the first siege of Jerusalem, 605 B.C., when uh, the first, of, uh, first or second of Jos- King Josiah's sons was in, he was, uh, he was taken away and replaced by another. There's another siege uh, here. Another king was taken away, and the last was imposed by Zedekiah. Here's the third uh, siege, and this is when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. Um, and, and so the captivity that Jeremiah prophesied was really from 605 to about uh, 536. That was uh, around the 70-year period. So there you have it. You are now experts in what post-exilic prophet means. Um, and so Haggai uh, comes in uh, during the time that after the exile, when certain Jews were called back to um, were, were called back uh, to the area of Palestine. Now, the book of Haggai is closely related to the Old Testament book of Ezra. I promise I'll start reading soon from, from Haggai. But before I do, the, the book of Ezra, you, know, you can turn there if you want. If you don't, I'm just going to read it. The book of Ezra is the story of the Jews returning from exile. They had been exiled there by God back to the area of pa- uh, Palestine, to Jerusalem. When King Cyrus, who Jeremiah, I mean, as Isaiah of all people, had prophesied to uh, had prophesied that there would be a king named Cyrus who would issue a decree calling the people back to the land of, of Palestine. In the book of Ezra, the first uh, few verses, it's about Cyrus, who was a king of Persia. He came in in 539 BC and he destroyed the Babylonians. He set up shop. And one of the first things he did in 539 B.C., he gave an order allowing the Jews to return to their land and also made a decree to rebuild the temple. It is hard to overemphasize how traumatic it would have been to the Jews to see their temple burned to the ground. I mean, we think of church if your church burns to the ground, you go, you set up another building. That's a traumatic event. But no, there was one church. In fact, the Old Testament decree, the, the Mosaic Law decree that there was only one church. You couldn't have other churches. You weren't even allowed 
You had to go to every Jewish male uh, came to Jerusalem three times a year if they lived outside of the area. Uh, and, and so it was burned to the ground. But here a pagan king in the area of Babylon makes a decree for them to go back to um, Palestine. He wouldn't have been in, I'm not sure he would have been in, in the area of Babylon, but he would have been uh, he, he probably in one of the, the Persian cities. And he orders them to go back. That's what the book of Ezra is about. And it speaks of 50,000 Jews returning to uh, returning to Jerusalem. And what happens there is they go back, and in the book of Ezra, it actually cites all the names um, of the, 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 the folks, or at least the families who went back, 50,000 of them, doesn't cite 50,000 names, but recites all the, uh, all the, the families. And uh, they begin work on rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. They're headed by a guy named Zerubbabel. He's the governor. And, and that the high priest is uh, a guy by, by the name of um, Yeshua, actually. Same name as Jesus. And they begin to build the temple. And after a couple years, the surrounding communities freak out. They don't like the Jews coming back into the land. They remember from their history that the, you know, the, the reign of the Jews, they, didn't, they were threatened by this, in, uh, the, this series of events, and they began to um, stir up a lot of trouble. And what they did in Ezra chapter 4 is they wrote a letter says the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard what was going on, Ezra chapter 4, and they wrote a letter to um, the king. Cyrus had, had left power. There was a new king, King Artaxerxes, and they said, hey, we want you to know, king, who's king of the Persians, that the Jews who have been, who've had a history of being a rebellious nation are rebuilding their temple. And, and they said to him, you go into your own archives and you will see this is a rebellious people. And you know something? It was true. They were. They, under, under King Nebuchadnezzar, they had rebelled three times at least. Even though Jeremiah was telling them, hey, cool out, submit to this foreign emperor for 70 years, we'll come back and we'll be okay. They refused. They kept on rebelling. Well, the king, not understanding that a previous king had made the decree to rebuild the temple, he sent back an order, an executive order, commanding that the building of the temple start, stop, rather. And so some troops showed up, some, some soldiers, and said, okay, you guys stop. And they stopped. They stopped for 14 years. Enter the prophet Haggai. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year, this is Haggai, of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the Bible is a history book. It's just not a book of poetic sayings. It's a history book. These events happened in space, time, and history. 
the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. But then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruin? So he comes in, they had been just hanging out for 14 years, 14, 15 years at this time. They had just been hanging out and just doing nothing. The king had told them to stop building the temple, and so they did just that. They, they stopped building the temple, and the, the, the Lord raises up a prophet. He raises up a prophet, and his name is Haggai. And, the, you know, the Lord is faithful to do this. He's faithful to raise up men and women, prophets and prophetesses, to speak truth into the church, into his people, when they start getting, they start sort of kicking back and getting into their own comfort zone. And, 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 and more or less ignoring the word of the Lord. And again, he says in verse two, he, he says the peoples, they're saying that the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And, and, and he's saying, that's what the people are saying, but I'm telling you what the Lord is saying, is it, is it really okay for you to be dwelling in your paneled houses while the temple lies in ruins? Is that really okay? Listen, everyone, this is the whole reason you're here. There was a decree that the emperor made, and, and a, a decree that the prophet Isaiah had prophesied about, for you to rebuild this temple and, and, and you have been sitting on your behinds, as my wife says, for the last 14 years. And, and then he goes on and he says in verse five, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, you have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. So what's going on here? God is chastening them. They, he had sent these people to this area, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. They had refused, and in his faithfulness, he was chastening them. How? Verse 6, you've sown much and bring in little. He, he was actually bringing famine onto the land. He's actually doing that. Because he knows, well, it's, it, they're, they're ignoring my word. My word is clear. 
The Bible is clear of what they're supposed to do, but they're ignoring that. So I'm going to get their attention. God's faithful to do that. And then he goes on to say, you eat, but you don't have enough. So there was scarcity. God brought about scarcity in their lives in order to get their attention. He will do the same thing with you in order to get your attention. He loves you that much. He is that faithful. Next it says, you drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. You guys, haven't you, can't you figure out something's wrong here? And then he says, he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. In other words, their washing machine was breaking. Their oven was breaking. Their car was breaking. Their house plumbing was falling apart. They were, they were earning money but everything was falling apart. Well, what's the devil that's doing it? No. <laughs> the Lord was bringing it about to get their attention because they were ignoring the word of God. And you know something? God will do it. He'll do that. It says in verse 5, it says, consider your ways. The King James Version says this, set your heart on your ways. Set your heart on your ways. When you have one-on-one time with, with the Lord, don't just read a bunch of verses to check off that you've had a one-on-one time with God and just go on doing your business. Set your heart on your ways. Lord, my life is before you. I'm only here because of the blood of, of Jesus and, and his resurrection, but my life is before you. My ways are before you. Is there anything that you want to tell me about my ways. He says in verse 5. And then he repeats again in verse 7. Consider your ways. King James Version. Set your hearts on your ways. And he says, verse 8. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and, 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 and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while every one of you runs his own house. He's saying, you guys have, have been doing building projects around your own home. You've been putting um, additions with a, a, a sauna and a jacuzzi. A, um, Kirk, I know you've been doing additions on your home. I, 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 this is not directed towards you. He really needs it. He does. Um, I was there. I, I'm sorry. I, that's not an insult. I'm really getting myself into, into trouble. But, but, um, but, uh, but his point is, is, is that they were, they were taking their time just paneling, putting um, panels on their own houses, making them all uh, fancy while the, the house of God set in ruins. And that was the very reason he had sent them back to the area in the first place. And, he, and he's, re- he's raised up a prophet here. 
He says, therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. God will bring about famine in your life in one way or another until he gets your attention. Matthew 6, 33. If you've never memorized it, you should. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And, and then everything else, it'll be added unto you. All the stuff that the world runs after, God will add it as you need it. And, the, and, and then gravy after that to bless you. He will do that. Seek first the kingdom of God. Verse 11, For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and in all the labor of your hands. Verse 12, praise the Lord. Jeremiah had prophesied for how long? 40 years. (laughs) And the people ignored him for 40 years. Ezekiel, same thing. And God even told him in advance. Can you imagine that? I'm going to make you a pastor for 40 years and no one's ever going to listen to you. Oh, oh, thanks, Lord. Um, when can I start? And here, within a matter of days, these guys are repenting. It's a, it, 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 I, I, love this, I love this book. It's a great book. It, it just, this, it's the Lord stirring things up. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit, and we'll see that in a second. Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehovah, Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Man, what a contrast to Jeremiah. When Jeremiah spoke, they, they, they laid hold of him and chucked him to the bottom of a well. Another time he got, you know, he got hit. Another time he had to go into hiding. Verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now, verse 8 is an interesting verse and on Sunday night we, 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 we try to take some time to dig a little d- deeper. Interesting verse here. It says, go up to the mountains and bring wood. Now, wonder why it, 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 if you are, if you happen to read Ezra this morning or in the last week, you might ask yourself a question. Why is the Lord sending them back for wood? Don't they already have it? Because Ezra chapter 2 Ezra chapter 2 verse 7 says when they first came back to the land, it says that they 
sent food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, that's up in Lebanon, that area, to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the permission which they had from Silas, king of Persia. So they had, at one point, all the cedar, the lumber, needed to build this temple. Now here's an interesting idea that, that commentators have, have raised. Why is it that he is asking them in verse 8 here, 14 years later, to go up to the mountains and get wood. Could it be that that cedar wood was what they had paneled their houses with? Verse 4, verse 4 of the same chapter uh, says, is it not time is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ru- ruins? And so we don't know for sure, but it, 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 it's, a, it's an interesting idea that, well, this, the king told us not to build. This cedar wood has been sitting um, around for four or five years. Hey, man, I need to, I need to panel my living room walls. And, and so they, 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 they panel their houses. Now, can you imagine being one of those people 12 years later when, they, when they're told, okay, start building again? Can you imagine 12 years later think, thinking, oh no, all that wood, it's in my living room. It's in my bedroom. It's in my steam room. Kirk's building one of those too. No, not really. I, that's not true. Um, um, anyway, can you imagine being one of those people? It, it, and, and you know something? This is the grace of God because what he says in verse 13, he says, look, I am with you. Forget about what you did in your past. And, and this is what sin is like. You know, we get our lives into the most complicated mess by our sin. And then God picks us up and says, you just need to move on. And we think, well, what about this mess? I need all this big mess that I did. I have to somehow untangle it and bring it. It's impossible to do that, to unravel some of the ugliness and the mess that we've made out of our lives. It's just impossible. That's the grace of God. That's the blood of Jesus. God says, notwithstanding that big mess that you made, those paneled, uh, you know, the cedar that's part of your wall now, oh, Lord, I'm going to go just rip it all up. No, no, don't do that. You just need to move on. You know, ironically, the book of Haggai is used a lot by preachers, including this one sitting in this chair, uh, to talk about, tithing and money and, and, and this type of thing because it's true if you're not holding if you're not giving God the first fruits of your 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 money you're going to start having holes put in your bank account you know, until you obey I really believe the Bible teaches that because God knows that that first fruit if you don't give it away your heart will harden and he loves you enough to bring famine in your life and to poke some holes in, in, in your bag of, of money but you know I really appreciated Though, um, a question that a young lady asked me a few weeks ago, you know, what do I do? Uh, She's come back to the Lord after 
a year or something like that. She's been out of church. And she goes, what do I do for about my tithes for the, for the last year? You know, do I, do I have to go back? And uh, should I go back? And I really appreciated her sincerity. I really appreciated it, her sincerity. Do I go back and do I give it all back? I'm having a little problem here. If it falls down, one of you, give, one of you guys can run up and help me. But um, I, I really appreciated her sincerity. She, um, she said, do I, do, do I pay back? But not only that, ooh, here's a guy. He's running up at me. Am I okay here? Is this... God made my ear. It's <laughs> okay? If it falls back, run up again. Or even if it doesn't, run up again. Uh, that, just, that just fell off. Mm. Paul, you want to try? We need, we need to cut this out of the CD. I think I'm okay. Am I okay? So anyway, this young lady came up to me and she said, you know, I've been out of church. What do I do with it? I haven't given any money to church for the last year. And so, you know, do I need to go back and pay it all back? And not only that, apparently along the way, she, from a church which was a church, a church that did not have a good understanding of the, of the Bible or the grace of God. Apparently, she picked up this verse in the book of, I think it was Leviticus, which says that if you violate one of the holy things that's supposed to be used or dedicated to the tabernacle, you owe God an additional 20%. So do I go back, and I really appreciate her heart. I appreciate the heart of anyone who wants to obey the word of God. And she said, so, you know, do I, do I pay back what I didn't give to the church plus 20%? And I said, well, first of all, do you have that money? And she started to laugh really loud. No way. And I said, well, then absolutely not. Uh, you know, what's, what's, if you've put, I didn't say this, but if you put cedar, if you use God's cedar, cedar logs to, to panel your house, you don't just rip it all off. That's not the grace of God. That's not why any of the, the instructions on giving are in uh, the Bible. And I told her, look, if, if you're, if you're hearing this practical, audible voice of God, and you have a ton of disposable income, and, and he's saying, you know, it would be good to, to give this gift. Go for it. But no, the grace of God, we make a mess out of our life. This is what the, the blood of Jesus is for. It's to give us a blank sheet every morning when we wake up. 
And, 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 and so I really appreciated, um, I really appreciated her, her heart on this matter. And, and it's the same here. God says, look, I'm with you. It's all about grace. I'm not with you because you have this perfect track record of saving your cedar logs into the time that they were going to be used. That's not why I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Actually, he was with them because of the blood of Christ which would be shed in the future. And, 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 and so because even, even the Old Testament is about grace and it's about looking forward to the cross even as we look backward to the cross. So um, they begin building again. Now, they begin building again. Does anyone wonder? Does, does that raise a question if anyone's mind of maybe there being a problem? Anyone? What about the king? He had told them to stop. And, and so if you go back in the book of Ezra, and again, you don't have to go there. Again, Haggai and Ezra, it's good to read them side by side. They started building again, and who shows up? Just the troublemakers again in, in, in Ezra. And they're like, they come to them and they say, uh, now, who do you think you are? Didn't we cover this issue before? And, and, and they, they, um, they began to discourage the people uh, for, in this type of thing. But, but the leaders said to their people, no, you just keep on building. And so what happened is they, is the leaders said to the troublemakers, look, you go back to the king. Yeah, there was a, 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 an order from a king telling us to stop, but King Cyrus, who was a previous king, gave us the order to build this temple. And under the law of the Medes and Persians, you could not withdraw a law. And so they kept on going. And same thing happened. They went back to the current king then and, and they uh, went back into the archives and they found Cyrus's order and it's, wow, he, they're right. They're allowed to build this temple. And so they went back and gave the news to the Jews. Yeah, you can continue to build this temple. And, and let me tell you, there is a wonderful, wonderful message there. And that is this. Just be, if God's called you to do something, don't just stop when the first obstacle comes along. Don't just stop, even if it's an, an, an order of the government. Just stop. If he has told you to do it, you need to push back. Interestingly enough, our church has a first, as an example, a firsthand account of this very thing. We, we go into the different, different housing developments here at our church and we teach Bible studies every week. One time they, 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 they told us, sorry, you're a church, you can't be here, this is a government building. Stop. And, you know, I thank the Lord that we didn't. Instead, we really pushed the matter. And, and, and we, we basically told them that that no, you're not allowed to tell us that 
because we're a church, we're not allowed to be teaching a Bible study on government property. That is against the law. Almost exactly what they did here. And, and they said, sorry, you're, you're wrong. And so he said, okay, if, if, you, if, if you're really pushing the point, we'll push it too. And, and so we, we, we uh, hired a, a Christian legal defense fund and they pulled out the law. They presented to the city of Boston and the city of Boston then had their attorneys tell all the public community centers throughout the city, look, you need to allow churches in your buildings. And because of that, every Wednesday night, uh, Calvary kids were in there teaching the Bible. So, and, and, and it may not be this. It may be something else. Don't just stop because, after you meet your first obstacle. Haggai shows up on the scene here and he goes, okay, wait. You were told to come back here to build a temple and you've been sitting here for 14 years? No, that's wrong. And, and, and they pushed forward. You know, sometimes it's so much easier to do nothing and say, well, if God really wants me to do this, he's going to knock on my door and say, hey, oh yeah. Sometimes it's so much easier to do that than to just to go out by faith. To go out by faith and, and, and put yourself at risk and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. You, you say in your word, you're going to be in front of me. You're going to be my rear guard. You've got to show it because I'm moving forward now. And, and, and so that's what happened here. In chapter 2, he goes on. He says, in the seventh month of the 21st month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel. Again, he's the governor, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? So some of the people were so old, they had actually been around and they had seen the former temple. And now they're seeing the new temple and the prophet saying, now look at this. Isn't this like nothing compared to what used to be here? That's what he's saying. Verse four though, he says, nevertheless, yet be strong. Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the Lord, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you, do not fear. So it must have been a very fearful thing for them to start working, knowing that a bunch of troops had showed up 15 years earlier and stopped them. But nevertheless, they proceeded anyway. For thus says the Lord's host, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. This is a reference to none other than Jesus Christ. And I will fill this temple with glory says the Lord of hosts. So let's back up a little. He says in verse three, he says, you know, 
those of you who saw the previous temple, isn't it true that the previous temple is as nothing, at least in the natural, as this one? If you remember, in the book of Second Chronicles, uh, there's a description of, of that first temple, and it was a pretty amazing place. Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 3 describes the inside of the temple. It says it was, uh, verse 4 of Second Chronicles 3 says it was overlaid with gold. The larger room he paneled with cypress, which he overlaid with fine gold. He carved palm trees, speaking of Solomon, and chain work, uh, chain work on it. He decorated the house with precious stones for beauty. And the gold was gold from Parvium. And, and then he goes on to say, and, and he made wreaths of chain work in the inner sanctuary and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates and put them on the wreath. So it was just this incredibly ornate place. In the next chapter, in chapter four, he describes the lampstands were pure gold. Uh, the flowers of the lamp were of gold. The trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers, pure gold. And, and um, it, it says in the next chapter, it says when they dedicated that temple, it says the glory of the Lord came in it and it was so intense the priest could no longer even continue to minister. And, and so Try to follow me here. So here Haggai, the prophet, saying, look, this temple doesn't have any gold. <laughs> there ain't no gold on this temple. The entire inside of the previous temple, the panels were gold. There ain't no jewels in here either. There's no chain work with a bunch of pomegranates. Not in this temple. But I'm telling you, I am telling you that there will come a time where the temple will be so much better and so much more glorious than this one. And he says in verse 7, and, and the desire of all nations uh, uh, will, you know, will, will come in. Now, when Jesus Christ walked into that temple, there was more glory at that time than there had ever been in Solomon's temple by far. It wasn't even close. However, this verse, verse 7, really is talking about the temple that's going to be established in the millennial reign, uh, it, where it says that he's going to actually come in, and he says, I'm going to fill this temple with glory. In verse 9, he says, the glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, and in this place I will give peace says the Lord of hosts. So he's speaking of a time. And this time, yes, there was partial fulfillment when Jesus, the desire of all nations, came into the temple in Jerusalem. That's true, but it, the larger fulfillment is going to be upon his return or after his return. And, and it says, and in this place I will give peace, verse 8 says, says the Lord of hosts. He goes on and says, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of, this is a different Darius, um, uh, by the way, that, than in the book of Daniel. Uh, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and with the edge he touches bread or stew, wine for oil or any food, will it become holy? 
Then the priest answered, no. In other words, the meat and the bread actually in the temple, they were considered holy, separate. And he's saying, so if any of that holy meat happens to touch something else, does it make that something else thing holy? The priest said, no. And then he asked in verse 13, he said, well, if one if someone is unclean because of a dead body, in the, bo- in the Old Testament, if you touch the dead body, you are unclean. If someone who is unclean touches any of these, will it be unclean? And the, and the priest answered and said, yes, it shall be. So, it, it, and this is what the Old Testament teaches. If, if, if an unclean person t- touches another person that's clean, they both become unclean. And then in verse 14, he says, well, then he answered and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord, and so is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now carefully consider from this day forward, from before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs and there were but 10, when one came to the wine vat to draw out uh, 50 baths from the press, there were but 20. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your, of your hands, yet you did not turn to me. But consider now from this day forward, the 21st day of the nine month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? Is yet the vine, the fig tree, the, va- the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit? But from this day I will bless you. That's a mouthful. Let me try to explain what he's talking about. What he's saying in verse 13, 14, and 15 is, look, people used to come to this temple and they used to do this religious stuff. They used to just make their sacrifices but their heart was not with me. And that is why this temple was destroyed. And he said, he said the temple was destroyed and then it sort of remained in ruins and then you guys came back here to rebuild it. I sent a, a blight and mildew and hail on you until you were stirred up to, uh, to build another one and it's happening now. And guess what? When you come to this new temple, you gotta do so with a heart for me. It can't just be a religious heart. It's got to be a heart for me. And, 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 and so as you build this new temple, everything that's been done in the past, it's, 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 it's all your past history from this time on, I'm going to bless you. And it's, so it's what it is. It's this remarkable it's the remarkable, exceeding, abundant mercy of God where he's saying, I'm just going to give you, this whole temple was burned down to the ground because of generations of rebellion. But you're building a new one and I'm going to give you a fresh start. And it's the same with any of you in this room, again, who have this history. If you've, if you've made terrible failures, mistakes, even after becoming a Christian, the Lord says, just forget it all. It's under the blood of Jesus. Jesus paid such a terrible price for you in order to give you such an incredible gift, a gift of grace, a gift of mercy. From this day on, I, I will bless you if you've been in sin and you're here tonight and you're thinking, I, I, surely I'll never be blessed again. Wrong. 
Christ paid for that, all your sins, past, present, and future. From this day on, I will bless you. Verse 20. He's going to now make, uh, this is going to be another prophecy of the future. It says, and again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I'll overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and the riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. This is a reference to the second coming of Christ, where all the Gentile kingdoms are going to be lined up against Jerusalem, against Israel. And if you haven't been reading the news, and just since last Sunday where I was reading that article last Sunday night about the fact that the anti-Semitism is as bad as it's been since Nazi Germany, another series of articles just coming out this week, same thing, the whole world now is against Israel. Could it be that we're about to see fulfillment of this prophecy? I don't know. And we don't know the day of the hour or even the season, actually. It says in Acts 1. But Jesus says, watch and pray. But again, verse 21 and 22, Haggai does what we've seen prophets do throughout the prophets. All of a sudden, the prophets will go from the present and shoot 2,000, 3,000 years in the future of the time where Jesus will, re- will return. He will defeat unrighteousness he will establish himself in the flesh verse 23 in that day says the lord of hosts i will take you zerubbabel my servant the son of shealtiel says the lord and will make you like a signet ring for i have chosen you says the lord of hosts so it is believed there that zerubbabel here though he's talking to zerubbabel he's really what he's talking to Zerubbabel is a a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself uh, who would be returning to reign someday. And so, you know, it's it's verses like these that confuse John the Baptist. When John the Baptist, when when Jesus came, John the Baptist thought he was going to defeat the Romans and establish a kingdom. He, He had not read the word carefully enough and of course, we have the benefit of 2020 hindsight, but that the, Jesus first had to come to die for sin and, and to die for our salvation, and that he would need to, he, w- w- he would come a second time, and that's what's referred to in, in verses 21 and 22. Okay, so there you have it. On Sunday evenings, we spend the last 10 or 15 minutes in prayer, and what we do is we just divide up into little groups of four and five. If you see someone new around here, just run over to them. Um, and we divide up into little groups of four and five, and we pray. We pray using as a springboard what we learned, but we also have um, a few ministries here at Calvary Chapel that we support that we pray for as well. If you'd like to leave right now, you are welcome to do so. Steve in the back has the parking token uh, in the back. But um, what I'm going to do, someone who's coming up for worship, we have, Greg's going to come up and he is going to lead us in worship now as we pray. So if you could just gather into groups of four or five and I will come back to you in just a couple minutes, I'll lead us in prayer. So if you could just divide up now.